There was a preacher, and he said kind of quietly, he said, everybody who wants to go to heaven, stand up. In the whole auditorium, except for one guy who fell asleep every week at the beginning of the sermon, everybody stood up. So then he had them sit back down and he yelled, everybody who wants to go to hell, stand up. And the guy stood up, jumped to his feet, looked around, said, brother, I don't know what we're voting on, but it looks like it's just you and me. So we're we're going to talk a little heaven and hell a little bit here. Jesus is anyway, in Luke chapter 12. So starting in verse one, that's where we'll be. Luke 12, verse one. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered that they trampled one another, He began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed you, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. That verse doesn't mean as much as it used to. You know, that I used, when I was a kid, I was like, wow, I could never count all my hairs. Now I can. You look in the sink and you go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I had to get out the weed eater for the eyebrows this morning. Ah, bad, bad. We talked about it yesterday and they grew overnight. But I will warn you whom to fear. Uh, fear him who is, uh, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. And I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men The Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. All right, short passage, just short 12 verses, uh, but really a lot in there. And he begins with something that all of us have to deal with. This warning is to his disciples. He's getting them ready as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem. And he's making sure that they know what they are about to face. And so he gives them some things that are warnings about their inner personal life, because that's where you always have to prepare first. He gives them some warnings about some outside forces that are going to be set up against them. And he gives them some encouragement about how to face both of those things, how to deal with both of those, and how to be ready for what they're about to deal with. Now, as they go into Jerusalem, they're going to deal with Pharisees and teachers of the law and scribes, more intense arguments than what they've gotten up to this point. They're going to deal eventually with arrests and the cross and the resurrection. Then they're going to deal with their own tasks and their own work as they go out as missionaries. Uh, They're in Acts 1 as they spread out from Jerusalem. And they're going to have to deal with their own arrests, persecution. And only John will end up dying of old age. All the rest will die as martyrs for the faith. And he wants to get them ready. And this is how he does it. So you know when you are preparing somebody for something that is that intense and that great, 
that if Jesus says this is how you handle it, then we need to pay attention, right? So don't be the guy who, who falls asleep and, and then stands up, yay, hell, you don't want to do that. That's no good. So what does he deal with first? He deals with our inner self. He says you need to be aware. That's what beware means. Pay attention. Don't fall for it. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And this is one of those great verses where he says something and then he interprets it. So we don't even have to worry about what it is, do we? It's hypocrisy. You say, well, what's, what really is hypocrisy? It's very simple. Here's the dictionary definition of hypocrisy. The practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which owns one's own behavior does not conform a pretense, a pretender, Somebody who says, yes, I follow Jesus and, and I believe that His way is the right way to live, but... And this was the problem of the Pharisees. They knew very well the book of Leviticus. They knew that it commanded them to love their neighbor as themselves. They knew very well the book of Ezekiel that said that transformation, as we talked about a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, or last week, just last week, is always to come from inside and never to become just an external behavior that checks boxes for the public, but that it ought to be from the inside that the Spirit changes us and changes our heart and changes our attitudes, and that leads to righteous behavior. And he says, let me warn you about these guys. And remember, this is still an extension of the same teaching session. Uh, bigger crowds are now coming around and people are really gathering around to the point they're trampling over each other. And he says, I want you to understand that what you've just seen in these Pharisees and teachers of the law that have been trying me is hypocrisy. Because they're sitting there trying to test me to see whether or not I'm really the Messiah. To see whether or not I'm really right with God. And if what I'm teaching is really the truth. And meanwhile, they are not living the truth at all. He told them, you pick, we looked at this last week, you pick the mint and the dill and the cumin and you make sure that you tithe the best and the first 10% of those herbs. But justice, mercy, and love, you wouldn't know them if they bit you in the wherever they would bite a Pharisee that your mother wouldn't let you say at church. You wouldn't know about it because you're hypocrites. And this is what he says to the disciples. Don't do that. Never become those men. And it's, it's meant to be a warning for them and an encouragement to them to check themselves and to stop and ask themselves, are we living what this Jesus guy is actually preaching and trying to teach us? Or are we in danger of becoming like them as religious leaders down the road? Are we going to be about our robes and our chief seats and our ego strokes? Or are we going to pay attention to those that need justice and love and mercy? And so he gives them that warning. And uh, I put the definition up here of integrity as well. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. You see how they're exact opposites? They're, they really are just completely exact opposites. Hypocrisy is I say something, but I don't actually live it. Integrity is my walk and my talk match. I am Popeye. I am what I am. I am what I am. That's what a Christian ought to strive for. And when we read passages like the second one that's there, Matthew 5:48, be perfect as your Father is perfect. Now we can hear that as I did for a long time. We can hear that as you're supposed to never make a mistake. You've got to do everything just right. And it's watching you and you better have it all right and be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, that's tough, isn't it? It feels like I'm being set up to fail, doesn't it? Because does Jesus of all the people on the planet knows are any of us ever going to be perfect? No. 
We're not. Not until the resurrection when the Lord takes away all of our imperfections and even our ability to be so imperfect. Our desire to be so perfect. It just washes all of that away. We have problems, right? So I would read that and I remember as a Christian thinking, that's impossible. How are we supposed to do that? So you kind of think, well, what's he really trying to say? Well, here's the deal. In the Greek, it's a little clearer than in the English. In the Greek, the word perfect doesn't mean perfect like you're totally flawless and you've never made a mistake. It means, basically, integrity. You are whole. You are complete. Inside and out matches. What you say and what you do match. You have integrity and you are actually mature. That's another word for it too. In fact, the word perfect is the same word as the word in James 1 when he says that you will be made mature and complete through your sufferings and through your trials. That complete is the same word. So it's a, it's a matter of being mature and having grown in your character and your integrity to the point that you're still going to make mistakes. But when people look at you, they don't think hypocrite. Now, let me stop and give this warning that's not in the text, but I think we need it now and then. Uh, we, we often will run into people, or maybe you've even said this before yourself, maybe you've felt this way, uh, that, well, I, I'm not going to church because church is full of hypocrites. Well, here's the thing. It probably is. First, I'm not going to say it's not. It, it very well may be. Every church has them. At one point or another, we are all them, so he could even be talking about us, right? And so that's going to happen. There are two things to say, I want to say about that. One is, be very careful. We're, we're, we're warned against the leaven of the Pharisees, but we're not warned to become watchdogs of Pharisees. We're warned to look in the mirror and make sure that that mirror matches the character of Christ. So that's important. There are always going to be people who are hypocrites, and sometimes we are them. Don't stay there, but don't watchdog everybody else either. See, I knew they were just going to, I knew they were going to do something wrong. I've known people like this. You know what they are? Miserable. They're miserable. Maybe you've been there when you're always worried about whether everybody else is living up to their claim or not. That's why he warns us against the danger of looking at everybody else's splinters while we have big logs in our own eyes. Don't do it because you will often accuse people who are not hypocrites but are just struggling with their own faith just as you struggle with yours. None of us are perfect. And they're going, we're all going to make mistakes. And be careful not to throw that hypocrite accusation at somebody who just struggles with temptation and falls. The other day we were at, a, at the men's area-wide fellowship. Uh, you men missed some good ribs. We had ribs and we had, I had pecan pie and there was banana pudding. And then there was all of that plus Jesus and Jesus people. So it was good. Y'all missed it. It was great. But one of the things that was said, uh, Steve Bales, where's Steve? Steve must be upstairs. Uh, Steve had, had mentioned that one of the guys said to him, and I don't know who actually said it, he said, you know, I can, I can resist everything up here. He's, he was next to the desserts, I think. He said, I can resist everything up here except for temptation. That's how it feels sometimes, right? And so, you know, you could, you could be behind a diabetic at the dessert stand. It doesn't make him a hypocrite. It makes them human, right? Everybody has those moments. Uh, of course, it's not sin to be diabetic and have banana pudding. It's just that you're going to, there's consequences, right? Uh, but all of us deal with the same thing with temptation and sin. And some of us are great at resisting everything but our own will. And it's a problem. 
And it doesn't necessarily mean hypocrisy. So there's that. That's, that's one thing. Just remember that. Don't, don't worry about finger pointing because guess what you do whenever you start pointing at everybody else's hypocrisy? You know what you become? <laughs> Hypocrite. <laughs> so there you are. What a trap the devil has laid. He's good at this, isn't he? He is good at this. It's just like last week. You can jump over a horse apple and land in a pile of manure. You never know. So be careful. So there is that. The other, the other one I could remember at the beginning of all this. There wasn't. What was it? I'll come back to that. <laughs> there, let me look at this text. Let's read, read those first couple of verses. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered around him that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciple first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. I knew that would bring it back. So, one of my friends in Bonham, uh, Paris and Wanda, two of my friends, Paris and Wanda Haynes. Wanda used to always say, uh, and probably still says, whenever somebody would give her the excuse of I'm not going to be a Christian because I know Christians who are hypocrites, she would say, and this is one of the, the gentlest, she was not being tacky, she, I don't think she knows how, uh, just incredible sister in Christ, but she would always tell them very kindly, okay, but just remember, when the hypocrite stands between you and God, which one of you is closer to God? And I always thought that was wise. It's not a jab. She never meant it that way. And that's why. So be careful when you start to think that somebody else is not living up to their claims. Just remember, they might still be closer than you. I've always used the excuse I could never be an atheist. When, when people say that, I could never be an atheist because I know too, too many hypocrites in atheism. And, so, and I do. They're hypocrites in everything. They're hypocrites in Whataburger. You know, they secretly like Burger King. They don't, you don't know. They're, we're everywhere, aren't we? So wherever there are humans, there they are. Never let them get in your way. It's not worth it. Uh, you'll see a meme passed around Facebook every now and then um, that uh, says that ah, I lost that one too. I started thinking more about Wanda in Paris. You know, she made some of the best desserts. Uh, ADD kicking in and I don't even have it. That's how bad that is. This is just 48, I guess. But be aware that hypocrisy damages most the person with the fingers pointing out. And he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, because it can catch anybody and everybody, even people who have spent three years, day after day after day, with Jesus, walking with Jesus, serving with Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a good trap. Satan knows exactly what he's up to. Uh, before I go on, 1 Timothy 4.16, I quote this often because it matters. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. And what Paul is telling Timothy as a young evangelist there is that your teaching and your life have to match. So watch them closely. The other warning there is make sure that pardon me, what, make sure that your teaching, what you believe, that's your doctrine, what you believe about God and about Jesus and about yourself in Christ is legit. Because otherwise it will lead you off into directions that are very unhealthy. The, the, uh, the hypocrites is what I was about to say. The Pharisees, uh, not all of whom were hypocrites, but many of them were, and that's why he was warning them. They didn't start off the kind of people that we think of them as. They started off as genuine believers in God, trying to do the right thing. So don't just let your intentions at the beginning make you think that you're all right. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. Just warn you as Jesus warned them and warns us that make sure you remember that what you confess at the beginning has to be followed through with life and belief and action as you go on. It's very, very important. The second thing he tells them is, be afraid, but do not fear. I love that. Be afraid, but be very unafraid. 
There, I'll explain. This is what he says first in verse 3. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I, I don't know if Jesus intended this to have two meanings. Often He does. There's more than one application to what He says, and that's intentional. And so maybe that's the case here. His first intention is that these disciples, again, are getting ready to launch out into their own teaching ministry. They don't fully understand all of that, but He's getting, re- getting them ready for that. And one of the de- things they have to deal with as they approach Jerusalem is that there are people who are just sitting there salivating. It's at the end of chapter 11, waiting. How are we going to catch Him? How are we going to get Him to say something wrong? How are we going to to entrap Jesus and His disciples. And He tells the disciples this, what you are now saying quietly because that is the safest way to do it. You remember how many times Jesus said after a healing, please don't go tell anybody about this. Same thing. But He's also saying there is going to be a time when you aren't going to be able to teach and preach Jesus in safety. It is going to be shouted from the rooftops. Everybody is going to know what you are up to. And the lines are going to be drawn. And that's coming actually very soon in their life. They are headed toward Jerusalem. And this is like days and weeks. This is not years. And they are, are being warned. When you get there, there's going to come a moment when you can't hide. They're going to try, aren't they? After the crucifixion, where are they? Hiding. They go into hiding. He's already told them that's not going to work. People are going to call you out on what you believe. And you need to understand that you're not going to be able to hide it. You are going to have to stand up and speak up. And that's, that's the next point, actually. Before we get to that, the second meaning of this is the one that I think we, we actually see first. I think most of us, when we read it, because we're thinking about hypocrisy, we think about this, this reading of this text that is, if you try to fake who you are, that's going to come to light. And what you say and what you gossip and what you gripe and what you all those things... It's going to come out. The sun is going to shine on you. That's true. It's not what Jesus is actually... That's not the main emphasis of what He's saying at this moment. But that is true. And it is a warning that's apropos to the first couple of verses. That beware the leaven of the Pharisees because that stuff always does get to be made public. Satan is a blackmailer. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to entrap us in them. And then he knows how to use them against you even after you've repented and are doing better. So there is, there is an application there, even though his warning is really a lot more about there's going to come a time when you're just going to have to stand up for who you are and what you believe, and there will be no hiding it. So you don't even try to hide it. It's going to be shouted from the rooftops that you're a believer in Christ, and the consequences of that will come as they may. Be ready and be strong. He tells them to remember what is at stake. He says, don't you worry about the ones who can kill you. Why? Because he just said, it's going to be made obvious you're my disciples and just like they want to kill me, they're going to want to kill you. So don't be afraid of those people. Don't be afraid of the Romans. Don't be afraid of the Sanhedrin. They had the power to do that, but they're not the ones that you fear. Do not be afraid of those guys. Now, there is one you should be afraid of. And people uh, take this two different ways. But I think the right way is he warns them about Satan, whom God has given the authority to cast your soul into hell. He said, be afraid of him kind of has echoes of what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Don't be afraid of the ones who can kill your body. Be afraid of the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. Understand the stakes of the game. Understand that this really is life and death and life and death in eternity. 
This is not just, oh yeah, I believe that. It's important and it can become eternally important. So understand, your eternity is at stake. Your family is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. All of it. So if that's the case, how are we going to be? Well, that's why he says, do not fear. Be afraid, but don't fear. What does that mean? Be afraid, but do not fear. It means understand the, 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 what's at stake. But if you are on the right side, choose wisely. If you're on the right side, you actually will not have anything to fear because Christ is with you and in you and for you. And that one who can cast your body into hell has no authority if you are in Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you're going to need to quote that passage. Memorize it. Romans 8, chapter 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why do we need to know that? Because He's going to whisper in your ear, I saw what you did. I heard what you said. I know what you thought. You don't really think Jesus is going to is going to stand by you. Jesus says, be afraid of that whisper, but understand that you can tell Him, God forgave me. Christ redeemed me from that. And you have nothing here. Have the boldness to speak that in the name of Christ. Just remember, the boldness comes from Christ. It does not come from us because He can look at us and say, yeah, I'm not afraid of you. But He is afraid of our Maker. So stand up and be strong. He's taking them to Jerusalem so that they will be His witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They will be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Stand up and speak the truth and stand with Christ. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges Me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And that's a promise. There is no asterisk there. There is only a choice. Do you speak up and confess Christ even when the, when the cost is high? Or do you fold? But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. You know, we, we often think of this in terms of what they would face. You have a Roman guard there saying, do you believe in Jesus or are you going to confess Caesar? Because that was often the choice. That is not often our choice. Our choice is often more like a boss who wants you to do something that is dishonest, possibly even illegal. And do you do it? Do you fold? Or do you live by your confession that you are a child of God and you're going to do what's right. Sometimes that battle is within ourselves. There's no Roman centurion needed. There's no guard needed. There's no intimidation needed. Sometimes within our own hearts we argue. But this is what I want. And this is what Jesus said. Yeah, but this is what I want. What's your confession as you went into the water? That we would submit our wants to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that we would even be willing to tell the hardest person no there is ourselves. And say, uh-uh, I believe in Christ. I believe in the way He called me to live and that is where I'll be and that is what I'll do. And He says, and I've got your back. When you confess me, I've got your back. When you confess me before men, when you have to make that public, when you have to shout it from the rooftops, this is who I am and this is who I will be and this is what I believe and I don't care if it's popular or not. You do it with love. You do it respectfully. But you do it with strength and a backbone from Christ that says, here is where Christ stood. And here is where I will stand. It says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We won't get into all of that today on the, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's always a question. If you go, here's an advertisement. If you go to our podcast, there's still a lesson up from when we covered uh, the Gospel of Mark, I believe it was. And we talked about this. And I was going to put it in the link, but my internet was not working well enough when I was doing the version stuff for me to take time and go get that link. But uh, you can look that up and you can find that out or you can go home and study it on your own. Do all of that. But 
basically, if you put it if you, on, the, on the, the quick version, you know how husbands, you know how people can say anything about us and we can find a way to take it? But if they say something about our wife or our kids, they're going to be left a smoking hole? It's Jesus. Jesus is saying, listen, you can talk about me, but you start talking ill about the Holy Spirit and you and I are done. Isn't that something? So, serious stuff, and that's why we don't have time because it actually is, is a deep thing, but just remember that. Uh, Jesus is protective of His family and that same fierce protection He speaks there of the Holy Spirit, He's just promised to protect you with as well when you confess Him before men. Number four, it's our last one, number four, trust the Spirit to guide you through. This is what Jesus says. When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. And we do worry about that. What am I going to say if? What, what, what am I going to do if? How am I going to stand up if? What if somebody actually? What if our, our country got to a point where we actually were put on trial? It's hard for us to imagine. Hopefully we would never go there. I am not worried that we will anytime soon. But you don't know. Other countries with the same freedom we have right now have lost them and thrown them away too. So it can happen. Beware. But here's what he says. If that happens, if, if one of these kids grows up to be a missionary, what if they grow up to be a missionary and they go off to Iran or Iraq? Don't you dare think that that's a sad thing because that would be a glorious thing. The Koreans are doing it because the Americans are too scaredy cat. True story. And they're getting arrested and they're getting put on trial. It's happening. What do you do? You don't rest in your own arguments. You don't rest in your own strength. You trust the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Spirit will give you what you need to say. And I know there have been times where people have taught this and they say, well, that's only in a, pro- a, a promise to the apostles. Go back to verse 1. Let's see what it says. Does it say just the apostles? In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered that they were trampling one another, He began to say to His disciples first, which means what? That was a message that began with them but did not end with That promise is for you. The Spirit will strengthen you. The Spirit will give you wisdom. And you will know what you need to say, when you need to say, if you'll only trust the Holy Spirit to do so and get out of His way. That's why He says, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself. You aren't the one that needs to do the thinking here. You just make sure your mouth is closed and the Spirit's mouth is open and let Him do the You will find that you will be in moments where you will say things that are wiser than you know you are. And you will know in that moment that Jesus kept His promise. It happens. It happens all the time. So He says, just trust. The Spirit will get you through these. So these were His, his important messages to the disciples. First, be very careful that you are people of integrity. Make sure that your word and your life match. Why? One, because that just matters. That's just, it just matters. That's what holy people do. That's what godly people do. Two, though, the world will look at you and say, I don't want to be a part of them if they're a bunch of hypocrites. Don't let that ever be anybody's excuse. Don't let it be yours. And he tells us, you be afraid. Understand what's going on. But don't be afraid. Because I've got... I love that. Be afraid, but don't be afraid. Because I've got you. And I will stand with you. And when you confess me before men, when you stand strong and when you speak up, I will be there and I will defend you to Satan himself if I have. He is with you. And let the Spirit work through you. Let the Spirit be your wisdom and your guide as you deal with whatever it is that life throws at you, whether it's persecution, accusation, temptation, whatever it is. All these promises, every one of them, is yours in Christ Jesus. That's why we every week invite people to be in Christ Jesus. We want you to go out into the world with these strengths, with these promises, with this Holy Spirit. 
And that's why we call you to be baptized. Because the promise in Acts 2 is that when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, that His Spirit, the One who will defend us and guide us and give us wisdom, comes to live within us. He says this gift is for you and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. That's you. That's you. And you get to hear that message because the people in this crowd did exactly what Jesus called them. They were stood up and they were counted as believers in Christ. So this morning, the question put to you, not from me, but from God, will you stand up and will you be counted? Will you put your life in Christ? Will you be baptized into Christ? Will you rely on His Spirit to guide you? You wrestle with that question. Wrestle with whether or not you have been doing it as we stand and as we sing this.